Kelly happily sheds her pants. Lucy reaches back and unhooks the clasp of her bra. Letting the straps glide off her shoulders, she knows Dan's fighting against looking but won't be able to resist. He always loved her tits. Don't look, Dan tells himself. Just don't look at her. He looks. He can't help it. She has great tits. She snakes her arms out of the straps and reaches up and pulls away the front of the bra. Her tits spill out. Those damn nipples of hers. Deep burgundy poking way out. Dan's breath goes shallow. A surge goes to his cock. He closes his eyes, but it's too late. His throat is tight and his head is humming. He can't resist looking back. Even Joe is shouting, Holy shit, Lucy, you got a great rack. That doesn't break the heat for Dan. His cock rises. Mickey dares a long look, and that only worsens matters for Dan. He's hard, a frustrating throb already setting in, and he wants to slap Mickey upside the head. And then there is this. I watch her lips move up and down the length of his cock, and mine hardens like concrete. Seth, she says, popping Jason out of her mouth, why don't you fuck me while I suck Jason off? I look around like there's another Seth in the room. You want me to, uh, fuck, to fuck you? You want to, don't you? Um, of course. She stands up and walks to the desk and bends over it. Jason, want to break me in first? Jason, glee in his eyes, erection in his hand, goes over to the table and rubs himself against her ass, just like in honor roll. He gives me a look like, isn't this a great movie? She reaches back and guides him south into the sticky wetness of her hole. She grabs his balls, rolling them in her palm. Then he begins to nail her, and my mouth falls open. He makes sounds like I've never heard from him before. He fucks her like a hellhound, like he's drilling into something thick and thorny and has got to get through to the other side. Then he whips it out, jerking, and the foam from his dick slides over her ass like soap suds. You ready, Seth? She says, still bent over. Ready? I want to fuck her up the ass. I want to fuck her in the mouth. I want to come in her ass on her tits. I want her to take my cock in her mouth and swallow my cum until she gags. Fuck, I want to be a porn star, too. And there you have it. Just a taste of the dirty poetry yet to come. Stay with me for all the rest of this episode of Dirty Poetry, using the word poetry very loosely. Our first story is about a group of old friends who have known each other for years and years. They've traveled together and had adventures and have been a part of each other's lives for a long time. They know each other well. They have for a long time, had a monthly card game. Everything was always friendly and normal. Until tonight, when things got strange. Let's take a listen. This is Heads Up Poker. It's written by Susan Diplacido. 
Quote, Dan didn't see this coming. In the seven years they've been gathering each month to swig beer and slap around poker chips, there's been plenty of weirdness, but nothing like this. Until now. He can't even figure out how it started. But as Dan looks at his cards, he feels a draft on his exposed ankles, and his pocket tens don't seem so strong. He sighs and folds. He takes the taunts from Joe and Mickey. Kelly, Joe's wife, grins at him, but at the other end of the table, Lucy is leaning back in her chair, eyes lowered. Dan notices her tongue peek out between her lips. She remains in the hand. He can't decide whether her tongue was a tail, betraying the strength of her hand, or a tell of something else, of anticipation, or a deliberate move designed to get into his head. Wasn't it Lucy that started all this weirdness tonight? He takes a deep pull on his beer, inspecting her across the table. Lucy can feel his eyes on her, but she stays focused on her cards. She did start it, slyly. She had laid the groundwork earlier this week when she made a fuss over Kelly's sweater, told her how much she likes it. Now, Kelly is susceptible to flattery, so naturally she wore it to the game tonight. Kelly's first tell was a few hands ago, crossing her arms, but Lucy had a shitty hand herself and couldn't take her on. The second time, though, was perfect. When Lucy saw those pocket queens in her hand, it was playtime. Sitting on the short stack, Kelly bit her lip when Lucy pushed all in. Lucy said, I'll tell you what, Cal, to even it up, I'd take that sweater you've got on. Lucy won. She hates the sweater, but the primary objective wasn't the sweater, of course. It was to get Dan in her bed again. The game took on a life of its own after the sweater swap. The men catcalled when Kelly stripped off the creamy cashmere, and even though Kelly had on a blouse under it, everyone's eyes glinted with potential. They aren't prudes, this circle of friends. They skinny dip together in the summer. Everyone's caught Joe and Kelly screwing at some point, either by walking in on them in a bathroom at a party or stumbling across them in the woods when they were all camping. That sort of thing used to happen with Lucy and Dan, too, before the breakup. So it wasn't entirely unexpected when the, quote, innocent sweater swap turned into a full-blown strip poker. Lucy's got everybody's shoes in one bold swipe, and then people chipped away, taking socks and accessories. Now, with this hand, Joe had raised the stakes to shirts. Dan folded. Disappointing, but not a problem, because Lucy knows that the key to getting Dan back isn't getting his shirt off, but taking hers off. So she plays the hand out, hoping to lose. When a king comes on the river, Mickey 
their perpetual single guy, flips his cards, and he's got it paired. Lucy fights off a smirk of satisfaction. Kelly stands and makes a playful show of pulling off her shirt, while Joe hums the stripper theme and Mickey applauds and waves a dollar bill. Dan's watching Kelly, smiling. Lucy stays seated and undoes, first, her top button, then the second. At the third, she feels Dan's eyes on her, so she again deliberately lets her tongue peek out between her lips. She unhooks the fourth and fifth buttons. When she slides the shirt over her shoulders, she raises her eyes and looks Dan in the face. But Dan's not looking at her face. He saw the tongue action. Now he knows that she's trying to get into his head. So he intended to look away, but Lucy was on the fourth button and the satin creamy color of her bra was already peeking through, she pulls the shirt off, shrugging, and that smooth skin of hers is already spilling over the top of that skimpy bra. Christ, he gulps, it's not cold in here, but it's not a sauna either. Those nipples of hers, they always were sensitive, and they're starting already. What was smooth, seamless fabric is rising in the center, darkening, letting even the color of her hardening nipples show through. Lucy twists, hanging the shirt over the back of her chair, accentuating the swell of her breasts, the jutting nipple interrupting the otherwise perfect contour. Dan forces his eyes closed. He can't sit there staring at her, and now he's sure that's exactly what she wants, the slick little minx. After they broke up, she caved when Dan came on to her that horny night six months ago. But last month, he turned her down when she wanted some action, and clearly this is her payback. She wants to play? Let's play. Mickey deals another hand and Dan catches him peeking out of the corner of his eye at Lucy. Mickey always had a thing for Lucy, even if he won't admit it. But Dan sees Mickey's nervous glances. He smiles at Lucy as he deals. Fanning his cards, Dan's not sure what he's hoping for. He's trying to win, of course. But what's winning? Does he want Lucy sitting here naked, in front of everyone? In front of that damn Mickey? Does Dan really want to be looking at her naked himself in front of everyone? Christ, why do the words Lucy naked send a tingle right to where he doesn't want to have one? He doesn't know, but he knows that he doesn't want to be sitting naked in front of everyone. Leaving his cards face down, he goes for a new beer, his bare feet slapping the cool linoleum. He gives fresh ones to Kelly and Joe, too, and discovers that Mickey topped off Lucy's wine. Downing half his beer in one pull, Dan sets his head straight. He doesn't know yet what game Lucy's playing, but he's going to beat her at it. It doesn't matter how bad he's wanted her lately. Since she put the moves on him and he rejected her, he's had the upper hand. He'll win. He doesn't. In just two quick hands, Lucy wins Dan's shirt and then all three men's pants. K 
Kelly high-fives her as the guys shuck their pants. Joe's not the least bit bothered that his boxers are tented out, laughing as Kelly says, Hey, baby, you're at half-mast. Well, that's because I'm half-drunk. Besides, so are you, Joe nods at her chest. Kelly shrugs, It's cold in here. It is cold, he says, pulling her onto his lap. Warm me up. You don't need any more warming, she warns, but she doesn't pull away. Lucy smiles. Dan, she notices, is sitting forward on his seat. Oh, she watched him strip. She took a sip of wine and was casual about it, but she watched him. She got a nice eye full of torso when, she, when he lost his shirt, but she'd always loved his legs most. They weren't scrawny chicken legs, and they're not too hairy either, especially for his olive complexion. And his crotch. Ah, his crotch. He's wearing those black boxer briefs that can't conceal his bulge. It's bulging, but he's not really turned on yet. He's trying to appear relaxed, but Lucy can tell that he's not. Joe and Kelly, they're relaxed. Mickey, he's a little uncomfortable, but he's hanging in there. But Dan, his shoulders are tightened, his jaw is clamped, and he's not moving. He's not moving because he's concentrating so hard on staying calm. Lucy takes another sip of wine. She's deliberate in her moves, trying to act nonchalant, because she's thinking about how Dan wasn't excited yet. And the thought of his getting excited, getting fully aroused, even while he's consciously willing it not to happen, that really turns her on. Thinking about his bulge growing and stiffening makes her nipples ache and her crotch moisten. And she knows exactly how to get him to that point. So, let's play. Kelly deals, still on Joe's lap, slapping his hand away with mock indignation. Their silliness relaxes Dan. They're comfortable, even Joe with his half-boner hanging out. They're mildly drunk, of course, and, and Joe and Kelly never did have much discretion anyhow. Like the time that Kelly went down on Joe at that French restaurant in New York. Checking his cards... Dan sees that he's pulled a monster hand. He could get Lucy's pants off and even the score with his ace-king. But this time, she doesn't pull her little tongue trick. When the flop comes, she takes a gulp of wine. Mickey tops off her glass with a smile, that prick. Dan doesn't pair the ace or the king, but he's victorious anyway when Lucy shows queen four unpaired, his ace beats that. And the next thing he knows, she's standing, unbuttoning, and unzipping. Her underwear matches the bra. Satin, creamy, but thin and scant, riding low on curvy hips that match her tits. She turns around to drape her pants over the back of the chair. The panties aren't a thong, but they're riding up the cheeks of her ass, tempting. It sends another tingle to the pit of his stomach. Blood begins to flow to his cock. Then he catches Mickey staring at Lucy even as she turns back. 
The prick is not focused on her ass, but on her crotch. It sends another hot flash through Dan. He clears his throat loudly, and Mickey looks away. Lucy flashes Mickey a big smile. Taking her seat, she stares at Dan, his face red, one hand tapping the table. He's refusing to look at her. Joe deals again, and Lucy has a terrible hand, but she stays in. So does Kelly, and so does Dan. Dan wins with a flush draw, and Kelly happily sheds her pants. Lucy reaches back and unhooks the clasp of her bra. Letting the straps glide off her shoulders, she knows Dan's fighting against looking but won't be able to resist. He always loved her tits. Don't look, Dan tells himself. Just don't look at her. He looks. He can't help it. She has great tits. She snakes her arms out of the straps and reaches up and pulls away the front of the bra. Her tits spill out. Those damn nipples of hers. Deep burgundy poking way out. Dan's breath goes shallow. A surge goes to his cock. He closes his eyes, but it's too late. His throat is tight and his head is humming. He can't resist looking back. Even Joe is shouting, Holy shit, Lucy, you got a great rack. That doesn't break the heat for Dan. His cock rises. Mickey dares a long look, and that only worsens matters for Dan. He's hard, a frustrating throb already setting in, and he wants to slap Mickey upside the head. Lucy knows exactly what's happening to Dan. Flushed face, quick breath, he's trying not to look, and he's failing. She watches him glance at Mick, his jaw set. She knew he still had heat for her. Dan shifts, and his eyes fall directly on her. Staring, inspecting her naked breast, she's done it all right. She's set Dan off good. The monkey wrench is that she didn't expect it to get her so hot so quickly. But watching him get hot for her, get jealous for her, it electrifies her. The slight damp between her legs turns into sopping slick wetness. She wants to squirm to find a way to relieve the humming insistence in her crotch. Kelly, bless her, cuts the electricity by answering Joe's comment to Lucy, Hey, what about my rack? Joe gives her breast a squeeze, still inside her bra, saying, Yours is the best, baby. Mickey, he blushes. They play a couple more hands, but it's a stalemate. With nobody willing to risk any more clothing and everyone folding. All the while, Joe's hands snake randomly across Kelly's belly and thighs, and Lucy's exaggerated breathing, the hypnotic rise and fall of her exposed breasts, keeps Dan's pulse surging. And Dan's blushing amps up the frustration knotted in Lucy's crotch. And Mickey, he watches, trying not to let Dan notice. Finally, Joe pulls a big hand and calls, Winner takes the loser skivvies. Mickey and Kelly fold, 
and Mickey scrambles for the fridge to get another beer. Dan checks his cards, then grits his teeth, trying to think beyond his throbbing dick. He shouldn't touch it, but if he could tame it just for a minute, he imagines he'd get back in control. Lucy? He doesn't dare look at her. He can't touch it. He touches it. When no one's paying attention, he dips his hand under the table and squeezes his heart on through his underwear. It gives a little relief, a moment of satisfaction, so he squeezes again harder, this time with a rub. He licks his lips, eyes sweeping the table to make sure he's in the clear. That's when he sees Lucy staring at him. Her mouth slack, her hard nip tits rising and falling, her dark eyes boring into him. It's so fucking hot it makes him crazy. Lucy can't stand it. It's too much watching Dan grab himself. She crosses her legs, but that sends the slickness flooding to her panties. She uncrosses them again but still feels the pulsing in her clit, so she crosses them again and scooches to the edge of her seat. She sees Dan's bicep flex and knows that he's touching himself again. He's looking at her, ignoring everyone else. Uncrossing her legs, she plants her feet on the cool floor and undulates her hips, rocking them against the chair, easing things for a moment, but then instantly heightening the frustration. She rocks again, harder, meeting Dan's gaze. Fuck, it almost feels so good. She rocks, Dan squeezes and rubs, and Mickey comes back to the table. Lucy and Dan freeze. Dan and Lucy both called Joe's bet, their voices husky. They sit helplessly, Lucy's fists clench, and Dan's still holding himself under the table with one hand the other one clutching his beer. Joe flips his hand, showing an ace that got paired. Lucy goes next, nothing. Biting her lip, she stares at her losing cards. Dan's got her now. Feisty, isn't she? But she'll never have the guts to do this. She does it. She wants Dan so bad right now that she doesn't care who knows. She stands and peels off her panties soaked with her juice and the brine of her scent, and she tosses them on the table. Joe and Kelly cheer. Dan fists his cock and grabs his bottle. Mickey can't tear his eyes away from Lucy. When she takes her seat, Dan releases himself and slams his bottle on the table, startling Mickey from his goddamn reverie. Mickey stands and hurries to the bathroom, and Dan glares after him. Lucy watches Dan cocking an eyebrow. She dares him to turn his cards. He doesn't bother to flip his over. Instead, he stands, his arousal plainly evident. He confronts Lucy, a hard edge to his voice. This what you wanted? Lucy stares at Dan, silent. He strips his underwear off, flips it onto the table. Even the chill air is not deterring his heart on. Kelly, she says, oh my, and Lucy licks her lips. Joe reaches a hand between Kelly's legs. Kelly grabs Joe's hand and pulls him after her out of the room. 
And Mickey's not coming out of the bathroom anytime soon. Nobody's left but Dan and Lucy. Dan repeats the question, but this time the heat in his voice is in anger. Is this what you wanted, he says, and takes a hold of himself. As Lucy watches, he starts rubbing, asking again, Is this what you wanted? Almost, she answers. We're all out of clothes, he says releasing himself, then sits down. He wouldn't give in first. He knows she's throbbing, too. What's left to gamble? Lucy knows that the only thing holding him back is that he won't give her the satisfaction of winning, but she's got an idea. As she reaches for the deck, he tosses her his hand so that she can shuffle them, but they land face up. Joe... He'd won the hand with an ace-ten kicker. Dan's hand is an ace with a queen. He'd won. He didn't have to put on that little show. Lucy shuffles. She deals. Flicking cards at him, stating the wager, looking Dan in the eye. Loser comes last. He ignores his cards. He lunges up knocking the table over, sending bottles and glasses crashing to the floor, cards and chips skittering. He stands over her and takes hold of himself. Start now. And he strokes away. Lucy stares. Dan's legs are spread in a slight crouch, and he's pumping himself directly in front of her chest. He reaches between her legs, wets his hand with her juice, and immediately starts stroking again furiously. His mouth is contorted in a snarl. His hand on her crotch did it. He's working himself into a frenzy in front of her. He's lost control, and it's so hot. And if she gets left behind, she knows she'll go home the loser, a loser with a screaming clit. He's pumping and panting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat you. Fuck you, Lucy. Fuck you. She starts working herself. She knows right away it's not going to take her long. Watching him as he watches her, getting close to the edge already. He hits another level watching her. Her legs spread, her fingers pressing and stroking, getting herself off on him. God, she groans, I'm, I'm close. Their eyes are locked on each other. Christ, she's so hot. Dan crouches lower and buries his free hand in her cunt, making her buck, helping her along, pressing and sliding fingers inside her. His cock is seared with pleasure. Her cunt is pulsing. Both of them are strung high, stuttering, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Lucy grabs Dan's cock. He's got half of his hand inside her. Dan spurts onto her stomach, and she aims him higher, holding tight, every muscle clenched as she strokes, and he spills the rest, shooting it all over one distended nipple, his other hand crushed between her legs as she spasms against him. Her body shudders with release, panting. Dan sinks to his knees between her legs and leans his fevered forehead against her sweaty neck. High and lazy, Lucy whispers. Who won? Draw, he rasps. It's a draw. We're going to have to go again. Lucy closes her legs around his torso, puts her arms around his shoulders to keep him warm. Yeah, she asks. 
He kisses her neck, wraps his arms around her waist. Yeah, he says, let's play. She licks her lips, then smiles. Unquote. That was Heads Up Poker, written by Susan DiPlacido. Ms. DiPlacido is a prolific author. She has, to date, published ten novels and one collection of short stories. Her stories almost always involve gambling and card playing, and many of them are set in Las Vegas. But regardless of the setting, Ms. DiPlacido always manages to work in a lot of steamy, spicy sex scenes. Her work has been recognized and awarded in the literary world. Her short story, I, Candy, won the Spirit Award at the 2005 Moondance International Film Festival. Her short story collection, American Cool, won the bronze medal in the 2008 Ippy Awards, and it was a finalist for the 2008 Indie Book Awards. Her novel Shuffle Up and Deal was nominated for the Romantic Times Reviewer's Choice Award for Best Erotic Fiction in 2010. Susan DiPlacido's work has been published in many places, among them Maxim Jakubowski's Mammoth Book of Best New Erotica in both Volume 6 and Volume 7, Zane's Caramel Flavor, Run Devil Run, Slow Train's Literary Review, Rebellion, New Voices of Fiction, Clean Sheets, and Susie Bright's Best American Erotica 2007, which is where we found our story, Heads Up Poker. Let's take a moment and address the elephant in the room. Okay, one of the elephants in the room. You might notice that both of our stories in this episode of Dirty Poetry are written by women, one of them decidedly lesbian. But both stories are told from the perspective of heterosexual men. This kind of gender-bending perspective shift is, and always has been, common among the authors of erotic literature. As readers and listeners, these stories allow us to walk a mile in someone else's panties. And our authors also take an equally joyful turn at that switch. In fact, part of the beauty of both erotic literature and our own erotic imagination is that in the privacy of our own minds, we can allow our imaginations, our desires and hungers, to roam freely, to venture into places that we would never allow to happen in our real lives. With all of our real-life expressions of sexuality that are so tender, loving, comforting, well, Okay, even with the ass-slapping, hair-pulling excitement that we want in our real-life sexuality, still, there are places, many places, that our imagination goes that we would never allow to see the light of day. Good writers take us to those forbidden places and bring us back safely again from the 
adventures of foreign travel in exotic lands. With our own erotic fantasies encouraged to take wing, our sexual imaginations are now allowed to travel to places that are unlikely, improbable, places that stretch the boundaries of what sexuality is, and occasionally even jump the fence into the impossible. Stories that can arouse possibilities that we would have never imagined. But somehow, they become real for us, for just a few brilliant moments in the privacy of our own minds. It is there, in the privacy of our imagination, that we can begin to discover our own most primal sexual arousals. It is great writers, with their wild tales, with their exotic, erotic, sexy stories, who take us to these forbidden places. They suspend us in the times and in the spaces that allow us to inhabit those impossible places. And then they return us safely to our own lives, left with the gift of having been titillated and inspired in the possibilities of our own erotic imaginations. You will, if you stay with me in dirty poetry, hear me read stories from every perspective, man and woman, gay and straight, and all the genders in between, even, eventually, animal and machine. You and I will explore all the ways that our sexual imaginations could possibly bubble up into expression. For example, have you ever thought to yourself, I could be a porn star? Our next story will take you there. The story is entitled, What Happened to That Girl? It is written by Marie Lynn Reese Bernard. Marie Lynn Bernard graduated from the University of Michigan and left directly for New York City, where she went to work for the Robert Mask Literary Agency while she pursued her own writing career. Her personal blog at the time was entitled This Girl Called Automatic Win. Eventually, she also created the blog called The Road Best Straddled, which was a recap and a review of the Showtime television series The L Word. That eventually led to collaborations with The L Word series and Showtime, and her blogs gained considerable followings. After that, she created the online magazine Auto Straddle where she is currently CEO and editor-in-chief. Autostraddle has become very popular in the gay and lesbian community. It received the 2015 GLAAD Media Award and gets over 4 million page views per month. Reese Bernard's writings have appeared all over the Internet. Marie Claire, The Sarah Lawrence Review, Curve, Nerve, Go, Queerty, Bitch, Jezebel, Emily Books. As you can tell, Ms. Bernard is an active and accomplished writer. Oh, and her erotic writings have been published in the Mammoth Book of New Erotica, Volume 5, Erotic Interludes 2, 
Stolen Moments Fresh Off the Vine, Desdemona, Clean Sheets, The Best Women's Erotica of 2005, and our selection for this episode of Dirty Poetry comes from The Best American Erotica 2007, edited by Susie Bright. What Happened to That Girl is a story of familial love. Two grown adult brothers find that their foster sister, who they both lusted for in their adolescence, but who they've never heard from for years, they discover that she has become a porn star. But I haven't even told you the best part. Let's give a listen. This is the story entitled, What Happened to That Girl? Written by Marie Lynn Bernard. Quote, Christy, my fourth and final foster sister, disappeared from our home on the morning of her 18th birthday, three weeks before Jason and I both left for college in Santa Barbara. Now, apparently, Christy's a porn star. Jason called me this morning at nine to break the news. We're grown-ups now, the kind that don't talk about things like Christy or things like porn. We have grown-up lives. I'm working on my master's in biology. Jay's a computer programmer. I do still masturbate to those 80s videos we'd buy at the smut shop out by the airport. I still salivate for women in leg warmers and their bangs as fluffy as whipped cream. But when we talk about sex now, it's a lot like talking about football. I remember the afternoon of Christie's departure vividly, even though Jason and I never speak of it. She shared a room with our other foster sister, Rochelle. But Rochelle was at tap class that afternoon, and so we were free to lie on Christie's bed and bask in the air she left behind. The lingering scent of drugstore vanilla musk and weed. We held her abandoned panties to our faces and inhaled. We closed our eyes and remembered her mutually avoiding the fact of each other's hard-on, those nasty flags in our track pants. I often reminded myself, Jason wasn't my real brother and Christy wasn't my real sister. Our family played host to a number of foster kids over the years, and our house felt at times like some sort of privatized orphanage. My mother liked it that way. Perhaps she felt the guilt of the newly and unfortunately wealthy. My father was killed in a car accident while I was still a baby. Or perhaps she was just restless without her husband. My mother has a heart like the Tupperware that she hawked at neighborhood barbecues. Strong, durable, and long-lasting. She has a fierce ability to endure heartbreak. I her only biological son, do not. Jason, the son of a Dominican teenager, was the closest thing I had to a permanent sibling. He moved in when I was eight and stayed. 
He was the kind of guy who never looked back. And I'm the kind of guy who misses things even before they go, who clings to worthless relationships and dead-end jobs. Even when Jason reminded me that Christy would surely flee upon becoming legal, I imagined that she would change her mind, that our lives of varsity athletics and chicken dinners will, would quell her thirst for fast cars and drugs in the dark corners of the human psyche that enabled her to live so easily without love and without family. That afternoon was a mess of taboo. Resigned to unrequited lust in Christie's bed, we pumped our hands around our own shaft simultaneously, the air dense with the potential of our love. I worked my clean-cut dick and saw that it was smaller than Jason's, which was uncircumcised and thick, the kind of dick that I imagined girls wanted inside them, the dick that still makes me tentative to unveil my own. A strange kind of dance, that mutual masturbation of synchronized movements. My fingers rubbing the rim of the head, our exhalation swimming in a fog of long-deferred desire. I still think of Christy every day, of how she was then, a year older than us, with the reading skills of a grade schooler and a coy wit of someone who didn't need something so trivial as reading skills. She streaked her black hair with skunk lines of red and white, wore pigtails and stocking caps and bandanas during all the wrong seasons. I remember her slight body, her handful-sized breasts, her skinny pale limbs, her irresistibly full mouth lined with shoplifted glamazon lipstick. She hung out in punk bars and hung out on my favorite couch. Legs sprawled everywhere, playing chutes and ladders with Rochelle and yelling at the adulterers on the television talk shows. When I dream of her, it's those legs wrapping around my back like some kind of giant earth-shattering hug. Seth, you're not going to believe this, Jason tells me on the phone. You're going to bust a nut. I was like, I don't even know. All I know is you got to see this. You got to see it, like, now. Bring it over, I say. I was going to study, but I mean, this is like a special occasion or some shit. Dude, I'll be there in 20 minutes. I felt my chest hot, my forehead hot. All right, man, I'll see you. Hot, hot. By the time Christy moved in, we were grown. Mom was always out taking yoga, flitting around with her social circle of estranged housewives. So she didn't care, really, that Christy pranced around the house in men's wife beaters, her nipples visible under the flimsy fabric, or that Christy sometimes didn't sleep at home, or that Christy had become Rochelle's mentor, or that Christy played loud music at inappropriate times. Christy went to school, diligently, dressed in my father's old college hoodies. And she was always on time for dinner, so it didn't matter. And my mother did not know that Christine liked to bound through the bathroom door when I was washing up and announced shower time and strip bare, naked all of a sudden, and setting my veins on fire with her callousness to jump in the shower, pulling the curtain tight, 
just before my erection reached full mast. The first time, she peeked out only moments later, her smooth skin covered in droplets of water. I'm sorry, does that bother you? I'm so used to, like, well, living with a bunch of girls. Christy had been in and out of a home or rehab. These were the things that we didn't know about her because she never talked about anything but the immediate present. Um, no, I said maybe a little too enthusiastically, and she grinned. I didn't think you minded. But that was the closest I got to sex. Instead, I fumbled around with the breasts of my bright girlfriends, trying to get someone into bed before graduation. Even in the throes of high school love, I thought of Christy. It occurred to me once, maybe she got naked for Jason, too. But I could have thought about that until it split me open, so I chose not to. An hour later, Jason's here, in sweatpants, grinning. Get ready for the best hour of your fucking life, dude, he says, pushing past me to the living room. Can I see the cover? Is she on the cover? Jason hands it to me as he clears a spot on a couch fiddling with the remote. She is on the cover. Christy. Christy of the shower. Christy of the white tank top. Christy of my wettest wet dreams. Honor roll cocksuckers. Christy, clad in a plaid skirt and saddle shoes with suspenders tight across her new boobs. Her face is covered in cum. Her hand is down her skirt. Hot, right? Jason asked. I always wondered what happened to that girl. All the time, I wanted to say. I wondered about her all the time. Yeah, me too. Kind of makes sense, you know. Yeah, especially if she's still into drugs. I brushed off the accusation. You've already seen the whole thing? Nah, he says, I watched like the first five minutes. I thought uh, I should save the rest to see with you. A silence. We're men now, I think, but weren't we men then? In college, a buddy and I bought blowjobs from the same hooker, and I waited in the room during his, and then he saw me get mine. And wasn't it like that? Except less so? And why should I feel unsettled anyway? with the object of our desire so clearly a woman. But I preferred his being here. I'm drawn to that nakedness, that vulnerability that feels like family. Cool, cool, I nod. Honor roll cocksuckers is the opposite of seeing a movie star on the street. Christy, in pigtails and a skirt, with breasts straining against her selectively buttoned shirt, is, quote, taught a lesson by the principal, and then the janitor, and then both at once. The film unfolds at a pace like your train charging past when it's supposed to stop, like watching a game that you wish would go into third overtime just to see if he can score like that again, over and over and over. Bend her over, I yell silently. Bend her over and fuck her everywhere. I want to see that round white ass the same ass that lazed around the house on Sunday afternoons in boxer shorts, the ass connected to those legs laid absently across my lap as we watched TV. 
The janitor bends her over the desk and yanks her panties off. She yelps. He smacks her ass, and she yelps again. A close-up. Beneath the thicket of black hair that once coated her pussy lies a shaven, beautiful hole, lips like a canoe around that slippery line of her clit. Better than I ever imagined. The janitor rubs his dick against her and slips in. She yelps again and he smacks again. Then he fucks her madly, pounding her. It cuts to her face, her intense eyes and her skin still white as soap. The principal approaches from the front of the desk, fitting his body between her arms and shoving his dick into her mouth. She moans and tightens her glossy lips around him. I look at Jason, but he won't look at me. Maybe this is too much, I think. Maybe this isn't right. Jason with a dick like the Hispanic janitors, and me skinny and white like the principal, me at her front, him at her back, me fucking Christy's throat, and him now pulling his dick from her cunt to tickle the rim of her asshole, which flexes, eager for penetration. When he breaks into that tiny hole, cupped by those perfect cheeks, I can't take it anymore. I slowly unbutton my pants and extract my dick and rub. I have no inhibitions now. Lust is a kind of drunkenness. Out of the corner of my eye, I see Jason doing the same. The janitor lies on the floor, and Christy mounts him. The principal takes her from behind while her ass bounces over the janitor's dick. Double penetration, Jason says. I smile, too, and feel better. The moment I pop is bright white like Christy's spotless ass. I look at Jason smiling at me, his hand unapologetically smeared. He goes to the bathroom, and I'm limp, rendered half unconscious by the power of porn, by Christy and the honor roll cocksuckers. The movie moves on to other girls, other scenes, as Jason and I navigate the tender terrain of our situation. He brings washcloths, and we clean up. He sneaks me another smile, and I feel okay a safe distance from our frightening adolescent desires. When Jason speaks, it's like the end of a football game. Some good shit, man. She did good. Hell yeah, she did. Jason nodded solemnly. I zipped my pants. But dude, I didn't even tell you the best part. I don't think I can handle anything else, I say laughing. I'm in a dark room surrounded by ghosts, and naked girls are fucking on the TV. Okay, I'll call you tomorrow, Jason says. Get some work done, schoolboy. Jason takes the movie with him, and I'm back in my apartment, feeling like I just had the best sex of my life. I dream of smacking Christy's ass, of punishing her with her skirt over her head. I wake up wet and alone. Jason picks me up after the exam. We're going on a road trip, my man. A road trip? I'm groggy, half awake. Where? Jason grins. You'll see. The rocks in my head knock around wearily, too worn out to imagine anything. I fall asleep. I wake up as we pull into a nondescript office building. Jason calls someone as we lumber out of the car, and I fix my hair in the window's reflection. Where the fuck are we, dude? I ask. It's, it's painfully sunny. I'm thinking of Christy. 
of all the bodies that came in and out of our house, no one ever sticking. I feel the emptiness that pounds when I think of her, of Jason, of my mother, of the difference between knowing where you've come from and knowing you've come from nowhere. My mind is still murky as we ride the elevator up to United Scream Productions. Jason's grinning like a kid on his birthday. I rub my eyes. Is this real? Will I see her, knowing now what it's like inside that quivering pussy? Will I slide my hand along her taut stomach, tickle the Playboy bunny in her belly button? There's an empty desk, and Jason buzzes in. We were greeted by the principal. He and Jason are apparently friends. I'm dizzy. Everything is slow motion like an acid trip. It's one of those moments where life slows down and opens itself up like an orgasm and everything in you turns into so much air. I'm following Jason, feeling like I'm in a children's book, the kind where you feel three times smaller and follow imaginary friends into strange rooms. The sparse room with black leather couches and a view of the Hollywood Hills is strange because Christy is in it, right there. There she is. She's wearing gray sweatpants and a white tank top, her full breast peeking out of the sides. I liked her real tits. I liked the real tits better, but I don't care. Being near her is more than I can bear. I don't know if I'm going to get a hard on or throw up. Blast from the past, she says, but it sounds like a come on. What has Jason set up? It's my brother's. She hugs us and squeezes me as she hugs. I'm already hard. Things haven't changed, I see, she whispers in my ear, tapping the head of my dick. She's still so skinny, but she's a woman now. Why is she still so skinny, still so pale, living in a valley and still so pale? but I don't care. I want to bend her over the table and fuck her with the wrath of all my mornings of blue balls all the time she riled me up and left me dry. I want to fuck her for not leaving a note. I said that to Jason, too, then, that she didn't leave a note, and he scowled, and he said, it's not like she killed herself. And besides, look, she left all her panties. Sit down, boys, she says, and we sit on either side of her. She makes small talk, asks us what we're doing, how mom is, tells us how she dropped out of art school, that she's been doing porn for a year now and she really likes it, and that it's her calling, that she lives with Matt, who co-owns the company with Jeff, who's a friend of Jason's from college, and that she was surprised, really, when Jeff told her that we'd call. She thought about us, she said, from time to time, not all the time, but sometimes, and felt a little bad about leaving without saying anything. But she was just a kid. Not that she was all together now, but she knew some things, some things like why people leave notes when they leave forever and why people tell other people when they're going and why they don't. Then she has her hand on Jason's inner thigh Tickling near his dick, he leans back and closes his eyes. 
I wanted to do this then, she said, getting on her knees in front of Jason. She breathes hot between his legs. There's something sad lingering in her face, something that makes me angry and mixed up. But then she's pulling Jason's huge cock out of his pants, scratching his balls, wrapping her lips around his dick. Did Jason pay for this, I wonder? Is this why we're here? Or is she just doing this because she wants to? Because she wants us? Is she so good at performing on cue? She undresses and I'm wide-eyed at her new breasts. I want to watch all her other movies over and over again for hours and hours as long as I live. She sucks Jason's dick like a porn star. All the moaning and the moisture, all the upward glances for approval. She doesn't resist when he places his hand on the back of her head, pulling her closer and shoving himself deeper. I watch her lips move up and down the length of his cock, and mine hardens like concrete. Seth, she says, popping Jason out of her mouth, why don't you fuck me while I suck Jason off? I look around like there's another Seth in the room. You want me to, uh, fuck, to fuck you? You want to, don't you? Um, of course. She stands up and walks to the desk and bends over it. Jason, want to break me in first? Jason, glee in his eyes, erection in his hand, goes over to the table and rubs himself against her ass, just like in honor roll. He gives me a look like, isn't this a great movie? She reaches back and guides him south into the sticky wetness of her hole. She grabs his balls, rolling them in her palm. Then he begins to nail her, and my mouth falls open. He makes sounds like I've never heard from him before. He fucks her like a hellhound, like he's drilling into something thick and thorny and has got to get through to the other side. Then he whips it out, jerking, and the foam from his dick slides over her ass like soap suds. You ready, Seth? She says, still bent over. Ready? I want to fuck her up the ass. I want to fuck her in the mouth. I want to come in her ass on her tits. I want her to take my cock in her mouth and swallow my cum until she gags. Fuck, I want to be a porn star, too. Fuck, fuck, fuck. But I don't. Let's, uh, I'm nervous. Let's go to the couch. Jason's on the other couch, cleaning himself with paper napkins. I try to pretend he isn't there as Christy leaps across the room obediently and bends over. I edge closer to her, my dick in hand, but my stomach flips and flips again, and I can't. No, no, I, I say lie on it. She does, looking confused. No, on your back, I say, watching her pert ass roll over. I get on top of her. Our eyes locked, and I ease myself in like I'm the first one, breaking her open, setting that thing loose in her that got her here in the first place. She gasps but doesn't moan, and I shift in and out. Gently, I look into her eyes, and I grabbed her hair in fists. I make love to her, inside her. It feels pure. A million miles away from cameras and lights, it feels utterly private. We kiss, we suck and pull, 
our tongues courting and wetting and dancing. I lie on top of her. I kiss her ear. I want to whisper so many things, but instead, I just tickle her earlobe with my tongue. I kiss her nose, which is red and sad. I look at her eyes, and she looks back at mine, and it's almost like I could cry. She reaches out and grabs my ass with her hands, her fingers softly rimming the outside of my asshole, but she doesn't enter it. We roll over, and she's on top of me. The muscles of her cunt tighten around my cock. She's a pro, and she rides me. Her breasts bounce like tennis balls. Her soft hands grip my biceps. She rubs back and forth, her clit grazing the hair above my dick. This feels so good, baby. Yeah, it does, I say. There are dirty words that we could exchange like endearments, but we don't. She smiles, clenches her muscles hard around my cock. Ah, yeah. She lowers on me. Let's go back to the other way. I want to feel you over me. Is that okay? We rolled back over we're careful, athletic, on a limited space of the couch. Jason might still be in the room, or he might not be. But as I continue, thrusting deeply, feeling her clenched around me at just the right moments, and grind her ass up and down with finesse, I see that she's going to come. And I know that I can, too. And so we do, together. And I come inside her, even though I know I shouldn't. I rest my head between her breasts, which are supple, though clearly fake. I feel her breathe. Jason is no longer in the room. I can hear him laughing outside, him and another man laughing. I feel naked, but not empty anymore. Not for just that second. The second that I lie inside her silent. That was nice, she said finally. It was, I responded, giving a smile that looked like an apology. Thank you. She smiles. Thank you, Seth. For what? She shrugs as I slip out of her and stand up. She sits up thinking she's naked. With me. For loving me, I guess. Even if it's just for, she looks at the clock, 20 minutes. I shake my head and laugh. 20 years. At least 20 years. I watch as she dresses her eyes still huge and empty. I realized that I've never known someone who needed love as badly as this girl. More than my mother, more than the 12 other kids that shuffled in and out of our house like supporting actors, more than Jason when he first arrived at our doorstep tattered and broken and hardened to the bone, maybe even more than I do. Maybe I'll see you guys again, she asked. Maybe, I smile. I hope so. I say, even though I don't know if it's true or not. That's the last thing I say, because just then, Jason comes in, triumphant and sportsmanlike. Dude, are you ready to bust? I nod. In the same dreamlike state that I entered with, I leave the office and we get in the car. We pull onto the highway and drive until the building fades into the millions of office buildings around us, recedes under the ominous landscape of the hills. Jason recites his play-by-play, -play, eager, and then says, Hey, man, what happened after I left? I shrug. Same thing, more or less. He nods. He keeps talking. The radio plays. The car moves. And we move on. 
together in his car, in our strange, beautiful brotherhood, the kind that stands naked in front of itself, unashamed. Unquote. And there you have it. All the juicy, joyful jizz that we can squeeze out of one episode of Dirty Poetry. Stay tuned for the next episode, or better yet, subscribe and be the first to hear the greatest, latest episodes of Dirty Poetry, using the word poetry very loosely, of course.